the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rody Fisher. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. My name is Rody Fisher. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being with us today, Lord. Thank you for blessing us so abundantly. You bless us pressed down, shaken together, and runneth over, Lord. And Father, we thank you for being here. We ask that you would lead and guide our every word, our every thought, everything that we're hearing, Lord. Lord, that it would be all about you and not about us. <clears throat> be with, <clears throat> excuse me, be with Ramon, Ramon, I'm sorry, and Guy, who's in the sound booth, um, myself, and my special guest, Jim Barber, and my husband who's here. Thank you, Lord, for being with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I think about don't, his name all the time. Don't worry about it. Oh, my gosh. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> I still love you. Okay. I love you, too. Okay. <clears throat> so we're, we're in Psalm still, and I'm going to read chapter 16 out of the King, King James. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the, ex- to the excellent in whom all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. <clears throat> Their drink offerings of blood will not offer nor take up their names in my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, and of my cup thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasure in pleasant places, yea, I have goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is always at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. <clears throat> my, flesh is also, my flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. And thy presence is the fullness of joy. And at the right hand are the pleasures forevermore. I love the fact that he says, in God will I put my trust. And that's where we all need to be, is in God will will I put my trust. I want to thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, give us understanding of your word today. In Jesus' name. I want to get right into interviewing my guests just to give him enough time, because I'm wondering if I'm going to even have enough time to get through the whole thing. So <clears throat> I remember um, meeting you through, um, it was called Arabic Christian Perspective back then. And I want to say it was in probably the year 2003 to 2005, somewhere in there. And you were being asked to speak on the subject of apologetics. And specifically Muslims or Islam. And um, we have seen each other off and on over the years. Welcome, Jim. Well, and thank you for having me. This is, this is fantastic. Now, I, I, I mispronounced 
his name in there, and I'm thinking I probably mispronounced your last name. It's Baber? It's Baber, yeah. Baber, and I said Barbara. That's fine. I never correct anybody. Okay, okay. So welcome. Okay, now, I would like for you to, for the listeners, Mm -hmm. um, give a little background about yourself, where you grew up and, you know, things like that. Where you're born, how many kids in the family. Were you a churchgoer? Okay. So um, I'm from the Southern California area, always have been. Okay. It, except, I'll say, the four years I was in the military. I was active uh, Army. I was in the uh, 82nd Airborne in the uh, early 1980s. Um, so, yeah, oh. general Southern California area. My family, uh, we never went to church. Wow. Uh, not once as a family. Wow. I recall once going to a church in the city of Long Beach. And How I'm, old were you, Jim? I must have been about 10, 11, 12 at most. And that was the first time I ever went to a church. And I remember that. I remember this. I remember thinking, this is almost like a club. There's a unity. I'm not part of that unity. And it, it just... It just struck me as a little, on one hand, I would say odd. On the other hand, I want to say, well, it wasn't odd. I mean, I, I could see something. But that was my only church experience. Wow. Okay, so you're just a little kid. Mm-hmm. And and you already automatically know you're not part of this group. Absolutely. Now, what was the background of your parents that they, they just didn't find time to go to church? Or did they grow up in some kind of a church group and just chose not to take you guys? Or? My mom did. Okay. She grew up as a Methodist mm-hmm. in Colorado, yeah, and she went to church frequently. Uh, and my dad really didn't. My uh, grandmother on his side was a uh, professing Roman Catholic. My dad wasn't. Mm-hmm. So when my mother and dad and my mom had me, and she was sixteen, mm-hmm. uh, so she's very young. Uh, but when they got together, they're still together to this day. I'm going to go actually go. I'm going to see them in about I'm a week from now. I'm going to be there and see them oh, in Northern wow, California. Um, they um, their philosophy in raising my sister. And so it's just my sister and myself. I'm the older. My sister's a year and a half younger than me. Uh, their philosophy was uh, we're not pushing any religion on you kids. You will decide what to do, if anything. Wow. And And that really was the philosophy growing up. I, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, surprised and not, because I, I guess because I grew up in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. I, so how did you come to know Christ? I hear you, you didn't grow up in a church. And, right. Um, so tell me what took place before you accepted the Lord. What, what was your life like then? My life was, I mean, we're talking, so this is, you know, I'm in my 20s in the 1980s. And it's you, you live for everything you, you can, and 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 I truly live that sinful life, you know, uh, doing all those things. Well, I, I went into the military. While I was in the <clears throat> excuse me in the military, I got involved with a small group of guys and who were uh, Satanists. Really? We carry, I mean, I carried Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible. I had a, it's a black paperback with a purple like pentagram on it. And, and so you were serious about that. This was no faking it. You were serious about being a Satanist. So this is what I say. <clears throat> I mean, the sin of rebellion is real. Mm-hmm. And that's me. That's, I did this because I know it annoyed the heck out of people. When they saw me do it, um, and my friends and I, we would draw pentagrams everywhere. Wow! And it would bother the Christians that were around us, and but we you're did in that the on military. purpose. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Okay. And they didn't like it. Um, no one really ever made it that I can remember. Now, maybe somebody did um, that I can remember ever actually probably sat down and took me to task because I had some silly beliefs that I look back on now, and I just. I just want to cover my eyes and think, you know, um, it, you know, a moderately well-informed Christian just could have just um, showed the futility of my thoughts and arguments at that time and perhaps, you know, kicked me into at least reevaluating what I was doing. But that I don't ever recall that happening. Okay, uh, so you're carrying around this satanic Bible. And reading it. Oh, and yeah. And reading it. Oh, yes. Okay. And so that becomes part of your life. Absolutely. And 
I, I guess the reason I'm so surprised about it is because there's a camaraderie when you're in the military that's really you you you're going to give your life for your buddy here. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to stand in front of a gun if you have to to protect each other. Absolutely. So coming back coming into a religion like you know, Satanism is sh- shocking to yes, me. Yes, yeah. In the military. Right. But I guess it's there. It's it's there. Everything's there. Okay. I mean, I, I can say that. I I bet it, it still is today. Everything's there. So you're you're um, full-blown in, in the military. You're following Satan and um, all of his beliefs. And how do you get from that to where you are now? I mean, to accepting the Lord. So, uh, you know, every week or so, I, I would call home. And um, my sister, who I mentioned earlier, I would call her and, you know, talk to my parents. And I remember talking to her at one point, telling her about this, everything that you and I are talking about. And she didn't say too much to me on the phone, but I found out later um, that she had just recently become a Christian. Wow. (laughs) And when I told her this, it was troubling to her. And she said she just started praying for me. She just didn't know what else to do. Wow. Now, you know. I often say when I, when I give my testimony that yes, I had one foot I could say in this clearly in the Satanist camp and one foot really not. Maybe it's just in the world. Absolutely, but but still, when you are there and you're doing the things that I'm doing, you're reading the books that I'm reading. We um, things happen, and and and, and I, I can look back on it and I can tell you some horrible things happened to the guys that I was with. One died. Wow. That's pretty horrible. No, he did. Especially uh, if he, he didn't did. know the Lord. He didn't. Um, another guy um, was um, going to what we, in the military, what we call the field. I, I was in the combat arms unit. In the military, there's combat arms, there's non-combat arms. Well, I'm, I'm combat arms. We were uh, cavalry scouts for the 82nd Airborne on a light armored vehicle. So one of my friends was going to the field. The field means you're leaving the barracks, you're going to go live in the woods for one week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is. And he had my satanic Bible with him when he went to the field. And he comes back. Actually, even before he came back, I heard there had been a fire in a tent that he was staying in because it was winter. And, and he came back apologizing to me because he said he barely escaped with his life. He crawled out. He found an, an, an out on the bottom of the tent between it and the ground as Don't everything was on me. fire. He left your Bible in there. And it burned. That's what he told <laughs> Thank me. God. Yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> he said it burned. And, uh, you know, of course, I said, okay. Um, and it was his friend they, that they'd signed up together. They Both of those guys were from Indiana. Um, the one that died. Oh. Wanted to borrow my vehicle one night while I was a non-commissioned officer. And, 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 and I knew my friend. He wasn't. And he wanted to borrow my vehicle. I said, no, you, you, you can't because you're going to go out and drink and you're going to do bad things. And I'm a non-commissioned officer and they're going to start ripping stripes off my shoulder if I give things to you like that. No, you're not doing it. Well, he convinced someone else to give him a car. Well, he fell asleep at the wheel. He was drinking. He went through a chain link fence. When he hit the fence, the fence turned, went through the windshield and decapitated. Wow. So we had him pass away, my friend in the tent. Another guy that was with us that did this turned into a bulimic. And, and I remember I start, you know, I start seeing the death, the fire, bulimia, and just the, the darkness. It's there. So, yeah, I, I often say, yeah, I, got, I had one foot in the camp and one foot not in the camp. But it's, it's real. It's active. It's there. So you begin to question this, this decision to become a Satanist. I didn't. No, you didn't. No. So how do you jump over the fence and become a Christian? So what happened was, as all this was really kind of falling apart, like I was describing to you with our, with our, with our small group, and I decided in, it was my, time, my time was up in the military. I either re-enlist and I could stay, or I, I opt out. And I opted out. I thought, I'm going to come home. I'm going to go to school. I had a GI Bill. I'm going to go to college. I'm, 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 I had my mindset on doing that. So I come back to Southern California, and that's where I meet up with my sister, who I now know is a Christian, who is asking me to go to church. And this went on probably for, I don't know, three, four, five months. Finally, one day I told her, okay, I'll go. Hmm. And I went to church, and and that was July of 1990. And I have never, ever been the same since. 
Really? I do not know what that pastor preached, but I do remember that I, I recognized at that point in time, I am indeed a sinner. I am in desperate need of a Savior. And there is no hope for me except through the blood of Christ. Wow. And I remember at the altar, they, they, and, you know, this church had, a, had an altar call. And I'm at the altar and I'm crying. And I remember the, um, and I got to know him rather well. He was the youth pastor. He was praying over me. And as he put his hand on me and he's praying over me, I remember I kind of stopped sobbing for a second and I thought, I'm one of them now. Mm-hmm. And I thought, it, and, and things changed. I mean, it was that day I went home and it said, I, I'm cleaning house. I was in heavy metal music and I said, oh, that's, it's got to go. I went home. I just threw so it all away. So nobody told you to do that. No. You just did it on your own. I did it within an hour of leaving the church. Wow. I said, it's, it's out of here. It's got to go. All my pictures that I had, I, I had pictures, a lot of pictures of me with uh, Satanist uh, paraphernalia. I said, it's got to go. And threw it all in the trash. Wow. And I said, I'm cleaning it all out. And that, Within an hour of me leaving the church, I said, that's it. I'm going home. This stuff's got to go. So how long after you accept the Lord? Well, your sister must have been thrilled. She, you know, she told me. She goes, "I knew this was going to happen." Wow! And that's what she told me. It's like, okay, okay well, great. <laughs> right. She'd been praying and right, believing. Right. So, how long after that do you decide I want to do something for the Lord? Maybe I'll teach Sunday school. I'll get involved in knocking on doors, leading mm-hmm. people to Christ. What What happens with you? So it's really not yeah. too long after that. I want to say probably within six, seven, eight months. Um, I was teaching Sunday school there. Uh, I had a combination fifth and sixth grade class. And, and that's when I think I realized that I had a gift of teaching. Okay. And, and so I, that's, that's what I did. I taught a fifth and sixth grade class there. Now, I had done that for two and a half, almost three years. And I, I remember one day, and, and I did indeed do what I said I was going to do. Remember, I, I told you I'm, I'm getting out of the military. I'm going to use my GI Bill. I'm going to go to school. I was going to school. Mm-hmm. So, like most students working full-time, going to school part-time, at least for me, weekends is when you do all your homework, et cetera, and everything. So, I, I remember praying once to the Lord. I'm like, praying, I go, okay, so this is Christianity? I go to church on Sunday. We used to do a Sunday night service. I'd go to the Wednesday night service, teach my Sunday school class, repeat. Mm-hmm. I said, I, I remember sitting down one day going, this is it? And I remember praying praying to the Lord on one of my homework days, just asking, you know, really, is this it? Um, I've seen it already. I'm on the treadmill. And it was shortly after that I heard this. I'm sitting down doing homework. It's Saturday. And, and I look up, and there's two nicely dressed women at my door. Jehovah's Witnesses. I knew it immediately, and I thought, that's it. And before I could stand up, in my head, I said to myself, oh, you're an idiot. You don't know anything. You can't even prove your faith. You're going to go tell them they're wrong? And how are you going to do that? You can't do it reasonably from the scriptures. And, and all this just happened in the... the Seconds. Just as, the, you know, as I'm going up to the door and talking with them. At that time in, in school, I was taking uh, philosophy classes. Well, I horribly used some philosophical techniques with them at the door. I didn't use the Bible. And when they left, I felt so bad. Inadequate. I thought, oh, I thought, this is horrible. <clears throat> I thought, I have got to fix this. I, I got in my vehicle right then. And, th- and at this time, of course, we had Christian bookstores, unlike today, right? So I went to the Christian bookstore and the apologetic section and found books on Jehovah's Witnesses and said, I got to study this and, and read this. And really, everything with me started there. That was 1993. Wow. Everything started right there. Interesting. So you study up on um, the Jehovah Witnesses, and are you practicing on them as they come to the door? Are you looking for them to see if you can Oh yeah, uh, get this to work? What I did for years, is, uh, and, and some people still do. Now, Jehovah Witnesses, I've noticed over the years, their hearts are just harder and harder and harder. They don't want to dialogue and talk too much. They used to 20 years ago. Uh, even then, they were still difficult, but now it's it's very difficult. And I still do it occasionally. I'll get in my vehicle on a Saturday morning because Jehovah's Witnesses have what they call uh, field service ministry on Saturday mornings. Um, I'll, I'll get in my car and I'll go to places where I know they stand, and I'll go 
try to uh, start a conversation with them. Or what Jehovah's Witnesses are doing now, more so than they used to in the past, is they'll all meet at, in, in, in my case, there's a big lots by my house. They'll all meet there in that parking lot. They hop into one big van and they drive around and go to bus stops and laundromats. So whenever I speak on Jehovah's Witnesses in, uh, in churches, I say, the battle is in the laundromats. And, on Saturdays? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> I go and I got a circuit I run. I go in every laundromat. I pull out their watchtower magazines. I put down uh, tracks and then laundromats. I find people in the laundromat. And, and, and it's often Spanish uh, speaking. Um, and in my area, my so, you know, so they don't speak English in a lot of cases. Well, I've had some, you know, uh, friends help me. And so when I see people reading watchtowers, I ask them. I usually, if they'll give it, the most 90% of the time they give it to me. And I give them a track, and I carry Spanish tracks. And I, I'm able to speak to them in Spanish. I say, lee la Biblia, read the Bible. And uh, then I tell them, uh, no atalaya, no watchtower, no libro de Mormon, no book of Mormon. I say, lee la Biblia solamente, read the Bible alone. And then I, I hand them a track. And, and sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll talk to me a little bit, and I tell them, espanol un poquito, and we talk a little. But I, I, I at least can, can give them a solid Christian track. In Spanish, or of course, I got my English speakers, you know, and I got my, I got a little folder I carry with me when I, when I do that. So no, I drive around. Now they get used to seeing you after a while. They know, oh, it's that guy. And um, I mean, I've literally had my presence. I remember I was at a, um, um, at a, a shopping center in Torrance, and I went to the shopping center for a while because there were like fifteen Jehovah Witnesses just canvassing the area, and I thought, oh, I got a lot of work to do here. So I'm handing out tracts, trying to talk to the Jehovah Witnesses. And it got to the point where I would just show up, and you would see 15 Jehovah Witnesses just scatter. Get in uh, their cars and go. Right. So they, they don't want to dialogue, right? And, 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 and I think even today, like, like I mentioned earlier, they're a little more harder in their hearts in, in that regard now. Um, so it makes it harder for me. I mean, I can't talk to them, which I say, okay, fine. I'll talk to the people they're talking to. And, That's good. And give them tracts and tell them, you know, why the Watchtower is not a biblical uh, organization. So that's how I started all, all this. And when you study the Watchtower, you start studying and you go, oh, it was founded by this guy named Pastor Russell. Well, oh, he was kind of influenced by this group called the Second Day Adventist, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. Because the Second Day Adventist turned into Seventh Day Adventist. And Pastor Russell was influenced by the Second Day Adventist. Well, so were the Seventh Day Adventist. And it's, and, and it's, and before you know it, you have this branch, this tree of, oh, I'm studying the Watchtower, but now I'm studying Christadelphians because they got the same Jesus as the Watchtower. And now I'm studying Second-day Adventist and Seventh-day Adventist. And, oh, well, the Mormonism started, you know, all this about the same time, 1830s. And, oh, well, Mormonism, then you, oh, well, there's the Church of Christ, Disciples of Christ, Thomas and Alexander Campbell. And it's like, it just keeps spreading out there so okay so you're busy with the jehovah witnesses and you've bought this apologetic book on them and so you're fluent in what they do yes and so how is it that you now is it because you're studying the background of jehovah witness and how they started and what they're all about that you branch out to the next thing absolutely you're gonna stumble across a multitude of false religions when you start with one like Jehovah's Witnesses or Adventist. Um, it's because all these religions started, they were influenced by some, someone or something, something, some other religion or some other person in a religion. And you can just start marching it back and, and, and find those relationships. Okay, so are you still teaching Sunday school fifth and sixth graders or have you stopped doing that and... And focused your your time on witnessing to Jehovah Witnesses. Is that is that what you start to do? A, a lot of my time, yes. And um, I, I've I've recently, so I've shifted. No, I, I don't teach uh, Sunday school class anymore for children. I'm now pretty active on YouTube, and and an, an, another social media site called Quora, Q U O R A, uh, which is which is interesting. But I spend a lot of time on YouTube. I, so I spend a lot of time on YouTube. Uh, dialoguing all manner of people. 
I mean, I have conversations sometimes, some, some, some weeks I'm, I'm talking to a Muslim, I'm talking to a Mormon, I'm talking to Jehovah Witness, I'm just talking to a typical, you know, God-hating American atheist, to, um, et cetera. Um, I have been focusing recently a lot on Seventh-day Adventism because I've seen that they don't get the attention that I think they deserve. There's a lot of people on YouTube, you know, that are um, exposing Islam. You know, Pastor George Saeg and, 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 and his uh, friends, you know, David Wood and et cetera. And I thought, okay, well, that's, that's a crowded field. I mean, what can I add to, to that? And I thought, you know, not much. Because I'm, that's how I met you was through, yeah. through um, witnessing to the Muslims mm-hmm. is how I met you. And mm-hmm. so, but that's not your focus. Not my focus. No, no. I mean, I, I do look for them and dialogue them online. So they're not ignored, but um, my focus recently has shifted to seven. And actually, I'm studying Sikhism right now, um, which is another religion. They were supposed to, I think it was this week, maybe even last week. There's a very, there's a huge Sikh festival in Yuba City, California, Hmm. where they celebrate the birthday of their founder. His name is Guru Nanak. And, and so Sikhs from all over the world. So Yuba City, if you've ever been to Yuba City, it's kind of rural. I mean, if you want walnuts and almonds, you go to Yuba City. That whole area, it's farm. It's farm mm-hmm. country. Okay, let's get back to um, what you were talking about with uh, now mm-hmm. witnessing to Seventh-day Adventists. Now, I'll be very honest with you. I have friends that are in the Seventh-day Adventist religion. I also have, um, I'm going to say relatives, but relatives in terms of marriage. You know, somebody's if in the family and then they're married to mm-hmm. um, somebody that's in that religion. <clears throat> and their whole family is that has that background. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, being involved with conversations with them, thinking, wait a minute, they don't have the whole truth. And But I actually thought that there was a split in that religion where there's some of the Seventh-day Adventists that are full-blown Christians and some that aren't. Am I wrong in thinking that? So I, I would say yes. Oh. And, and, and here's why. Uh, so you did accurately describe, and even Seventh-day Adventists will describe it to you, very similar to what you did. There are, there's an array of beliefs within the Seventh-day Adventist community. There's one set, I'll call it on one end of the continuum, they're extremely conservative. If Ellen, Ellen White, and maybe we can talk about a little how Seventh-day Adventists were formed, etc., Okay, El- t- 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 tell me a little bit about that, because I, I don't know any of the background. So... Um, like I said, the Seventh-day Adventists themselves didn't start. They just didn't, a bunch of people just didn't get together one day and say, oh, let's start Seventh-day Adventism. No. They came, a small group of them, uh, in the 1840s, there was a guy named William Miller. And William Miller is very famous for this. He was, he was a, uh, um, a Revolutionary War captain. So he fought in the Revolutionary War. If I have it wrong, then it's maybe it's the War of 1812. I think it's the War of 1812. He was uh, in the military in the War of 1812. And when he got, he got out of the military, he started studying the Bible. And he had an aversion to uh, denominations. And so because of that, he just was this uh, you know, lone ranger studying the Bible himself. And he studied the Bible and he said, Jesus is coming in 1843 or 1844. And he put it in a book. Actually, I have the book at home, original one from 1843. Um, I'm a book collector. I love collecting books, and I love collecting them from false prophets because I love having them in writing. It's not my words. It's not my thoughts. I can, when I talk to the person in, well, I'll say the non-Christian group, I can actually show them, no, here's the word of your prophet in the book printed off the press of your church. So that's my style, too. I I don't, as I often say on YouTube, I don't scour the Internet looking for things that people... No, no, I have the book. So I got William Miller's book. Jesus is coming in 1843, 1844. Well, Jesus didn't come in 1843. Right. So William Miller goes, well, uh, it's going to be October of 1844. Well, guess what? So they prepared for this. These Second-Day Adventists... Oh, they were called the Second-Day Adventists yeah, then. Yeah, the Second-Day Adventists. On in October of 1844, before this, and I've got articles in newspapers, they were selling their farms. They didn't plant crops. They uh, just let things go. 
Because why should we? I don't, I don't need to work. Jesus is coming in October. Maybe it's July. I'm just going to live off what I got. Don't need to plant nothing. Don't need to work, etc. And they were sitting on their rooftops or sitting on a high mountain places, wherever they were. They were all over, primarily the, the, uh, the Northeast. And, well, Jesus didn't come. Okay, <clears throat> let me stop you there, because I know that we believe that Jesus is coming soon as well. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour, so right. we shouldn't even look no. like this should be the day or the hour. Right. But we do, the, the Bible does tell us to look up, that our redemption draws near. So it's not bad to look up and, and look for Jesus coming, but we're just not supposed to name the day or the hour. That's true. However, that's not all that bad that they, you know, were waiting for Jesus to come. What makes them not a believer? What makes them different than, you know, you and I that, you know, that have invited Jesus into our heart? Now, right at this point, and, and this, this group is often called the Millerites for William Miller. Okay. And they all came from a variety of churches. Some of their churches kicked them out of their churches when they found out they were following William Miller. Some mm-hmm. churches didn't. And you're right. Were, were many of those believers? Probably. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, They're following a man who's a false prophet. right? If, if a man makes a prediction about a, a big religious event like this, Jesus is coming in 18 months. You know, he, he has a knowledge that none of us have. Um, and when that doesn't happen, even the Bible, Deuteronomy 18, says how... when uh, How can you the, tell a false prophet? Right? It's the thing in which he speaks does not come to pass. It doesn't come to pass. Then that's it. Yeah. So, uh, but still, like you said, we're, we're, you know, I don't, from what I, I mean, they came from Methodists and Presbyterians and, you know, solid denominational teachings. They got caught up in the fervor of following this false prophet so, did they lose their status as a Christian? Eh, probably not. You so, know? when did they make a switch? When did they do this flip flop? And now they, you can, you're thinking that they're not followers of Jesus Christ. They don't believe in the same Jesus we do. So, here's what happened. So, they call this event the Great Disappointment in 1844. Okay. So, when they had the Great Disappointment, most, the vast majority, went back to their homes, churches, etc., reconciled with their pastors, and and did that. Everybody didn't do that. There was a very small group that said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not leaving this. 1844 is true. And this is the group that becomes the Seventh-day Adventist. Mm -hmm. So this little small group, and I'm talking there probably 10 or under at this point, Mm -hmm. said, no, no, 1844 is true. One of the members of this group, the day after the Great Disappointment, he is walking through a cornfield, and he said, I got a vision. He He said he got a vision from God that... 1844 was correct, but the event was incorrect. What happened in 1844 was Jesus, in heaven, moved from the most holy place to the holy place and as beginning of work of judgment. Now, this lays the foundation for one of the primary Seventh-day Adventist doctrines we're going to talk about called the investigative judgment. So they believe, so Adventist theology today, 1844, is a key date. They believe that's the date in the heavens when Jesus moved from, and they'll use the word apartment, from this apartment to this apartment in heaven. So these these second-day Adventists said, aha, now we have an answer for 1844. That's what happened. So he no longer becomes the Son of God and God himself incarnate, but he now is judge. What is he? Well, what this, is he? What are they believing? Who are they believing that he is? So let me say this also: many of the founders, this small little core group that I'm describing, are also from a religion called the Christian Connection, and it's C O N E X X I O N. That's an anti-Trinitarian group. Okay, so there you there you have it, anti-Trinitarian. So they don't believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy, the Triune no, God. No. So that's. That's the mistake right there. That's they were Seventh Day Adventists were founded on an anti-Trinitarian basis, hmm. and um, Ellen White married James White, and and I've got articles by James White in their what they call the Review and Herald magazine. He calls the Trinity the grand absurdity. Uh, so no, they speak openly of their uh, dislike and disagreement with the Trinity. 
So they were they were founded as an and they were for three and a half, four decades, an anti-Trinitarian religion. So how is it that we've missed that whole thing? Because um, I, I don't know what the pastor's name is, but I think he had a show called Amazing Something. And he is was this a, a Seventh-day Adventist guy? He's a Seventh-day Amazing Adventist. Facts, probably. With Amazing Doug Facts. Yes. And, and it would come on every Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And he sounded good. Oh yeah. But so are are you saying that he he did not believe in the triune no, God? He knows. I've got uh, I got a booklet at home by Doug Bachelor. Is that his name? Yeah, Doug Bachelor. Amazing okay. facts. Uh, and he basically says if if Jesus didn't do uh, his mission and what he did, the Trinity would have. And, and, and I don't have the quote exactly right. I don't have the booklet in front of me. But in other words, we said basically the Trinity would just dissolve, disrupt, blow up, etc. It just wouldn't exist. The Godhead would. So, so exactly who do they think Jesus is? So you have to look at a point in time. Now, most Seventh-day Adventists will tell you that they became Trinitarians in 1898 when Ellen, Ellen White wrote her book, Desire of the Ages. It's a pretty weak argument. I'll, I'll just say fine. I'll accept it at face value. Okay. So we can say 18, 1898. Prior to that, uh, no, their, their literature, and, and I've, I'm comp- I've, I have an index in front of me right now, a Microsoft Word file that's 170 pages long of Adventist quotes. And I've got a number of quotes on uh, their theology of Christ. He's Michael the Archangel. He's a created being. And the Trinity is absurd. And oh. this is what they taught for decades. But... <sighs> They're still teaching that today. So here's what happens. In 1844, I'm to make it right, but I'm, I, I can tell I'm going to lose this argument. In, in 1844, <laughs> right when it when when this whole the, the great disappointment occurred, we had this young girl, teenager. I think she was about 17, 18. Her name was Ellen Harmon, and she was uh, claiming to get visions from God. Was you know she's with this new Second Day Adventist group, and she persuaded them enough and with her visions that that she was ha, was directly in contact with God who would give her regular visions so because of that the seventh day adventist church and to this day in their in their 28 uh, beliefs they have a book called 28 beliefs in their 28 beliefs really? book ellen white is what they call the spirit of prophecy oh. the spirit of prophecy if you use those words they mean something to a seventh day adventist that means their founder ellen white was receiving direct communications from God in the form of visions. And those visions are where a lot of Seventh-day Adventist doctrine come from. And one of those doctrines is, I told you the gentleman going through the cornfield saying, I saw what happened, Christ, in the judgment. Ellen White read that, that, that vision account by this uh, uh, gentleman, his name was um, Hiram Edson. Hiram Edson's account was written in a magazine called The Day Star in 1846. That magazine wound up in Ellen White's hand somehow. She got a vision saying, oh, yeah, I got a vision saying that vision's correct. And at that point there, that's the point in time when the investigative judgment becomes a, and it still is today, a solid Adventist doctrine. Now, you you want to talk about what that is or isn't? Okay. So here's what an Adventist believes the investigative judgment is. If, if you get a Seventh-day Adventist to be, first of all, they go to great lengths to be deceitful with you. Uh, I'll give you two examples. They run um, uh, seminars. They call them prophecy seminars, Daniel and Revelation seminars. They'll have no smoking seminars. They'll have weight loss seminars because a lot of them are vegans. And you can... Why is that? Why are... Because Ellen White said so. Okay. <clears throat> so you can go to one of these events and the Adventists that are working there are under strict orders. Do not tell anyone you are Seventh-day Adventist. They won't advertise it like that. Uh, they won't tell you. They hide it. So when you go to these events, you think that you're going to a weight loss thing and yes. whatever. Or right. You're, right. You're, you know, you're trying to give up smoking. And right. so is that their way of proselytizing, That's bringing one, these people Absolutely. In? Okay. So the, the thing that I want to know is what is – so they believe in a different God, um, Jesus than we do. So yes. what – how how do they – decide that they'll be going to heaven. You know, we all believe that <clears throat> um, most Christians believe that if you follow Jesus, mm-hmm. if you're a Jesus follower, and 
um, believe in the triune God, that he died, resurrected, and and ascended into heaven bodily. Mm -hmm. Um, And you believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost as one God. (coughs) You're going to go to heaven. Right. So it doesn't work like that in Seventh-day Adventism. And, and this is what I say to Seventh-day Adventists. You have a different Jesus. First of all, the Bible warns us about different Jesuses. It, it's either, I mean, I can find it here. It's First Corinthians. It's either First or Second Corinthians 11, 3, and 4. Maybe it's Second Corinthians 11. Christians themselves aren't, aren't aware of this. I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians 11.4. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, another one, than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily. He's basically exasperated with the Corinthians going, if somebody comes and preaches a different Jesus than the one that I preached, or a different gospel, I'm afraid you guys are going to accept it. So, what I just read from the Word of God is the fact that there are other Jesuses. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church has one of these other Jesuses. If I ask the average Christian, what happened on the cross? When Jesus went to the cross, his blood did what? The average Christian would say, he shed his blood for the remission of sins. So what do they say? I'm going to read a quote to you here. Okay. From Ellen White's book called Patriarchs and Prophets. Okay. Page 357. The blood of Christ, while it was to release the repentant sinner from the condemnation of the law, was not to cancel sin. It would stand on record in the sanctuary until the final atonement. So did you hear what Ellen White said? The blood on the cross was not, not enough to cancel sin. Not enough to cancel sin. See, in Seventh-day Adventism, there's two atonements. You have the first work of atonement, which is Jesus on the cross. That, did, that Your sins aren't forgiven there. It's the Jesus that's in heaven since 1844 who has these books that are open that are recording your sins. And if you don't confess your sins, all of them, even the ones you don't remember, well, you're not going to go to heaven. So when this Jesus, so in 1844, this is what Jesus is doing. And so this is Seventh-day Adventist Jesus. He is in heaven. He is examining the books of the sins of all believers, not unbelievers. In Seventh-day Adventist doctrine, he's looking at believers. And when he gets to you, Joe and Susie, Seventh-day Adventist, you you won't know it, but he may get to you, and he's going to render a judgment on you at that point. He's going to render you, uh, yes, you you have repented, etc., you're accepted into heaven, or no, you haven't. And, And there's... Seventh-day Adventists are like Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe in soul sleep. Uh, there's no hell. It's annihilation. So you're going to get annihilated. So Seventh-day Adventists have a Jesus who's judging them as we are sitting here speaking right now. They do not know their eternal security. They have none. They do not know if this Jesus in heaven has got to their name or not. And if he has, what is the judgment? They don't know. It's that atonement that... Seventh-day Adventists call that the second atonement in heaven. Now, if you look at the Bible and you look at atonement, look at the scapegoat. You can look at Christ himself. You can book a Hebrews. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, period. But in Seventh-day Adventism, this Jesus in heaven, this is a bloodless atonement. This oh, Jesus wow. is looking at your sins and making a judgment, an eternal judgment on you. So that's why Ellen White can write in her book, the blood of Jesus on the cross is really of no effect because it's the Jesus in heaven that's going to render judgment. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a completely different Christ. Okay, so you, how do you, how do you witness to them? So I point that out to them. I, I, I point out that um, you have a Jesus that is different than the Jesus of the Bible. Okay, do they... And, they do read from the Bible. Yes, yeah. And, and, and you know, and that's a great benefit because they, they do. And, and they acknowledge it as the Word of God. And so it's, it's, it's but wonderful. But their teaching is different. Oh, yeah, because it's Ellen White books. Because mm-hmm. she's the spirit of prophecy. And they regard her as inspired. Okay, so you get to a Seventh-day Adventist and you say what? 
So I'll, I'll open our conversation up usually in, in, in this area about you have a different Jesus or you have a different gospel. Those are the two areas that I hit uh, the most. Um, so I'll start with, you know, I'll, I'll give them 2 Corinthians 11 and say, I just want to establish the fact there's a different Christ. And because um, most people, even even solid Christians don't realize that. OK, we're going to we're going to lay that down. And I'm going to say, OK, so let's look at your Jesus. We talk about the investigation. I said, where, first of all, Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. How is it that this Jesus in heaven since 1844 can remit sins and yet not shed blood? Okay, now they're stumped. Let me say one other thing about this. The uh, teaching also by Ellen White in the Great Controversy says, in the final days, Jesus is going to place all the sins that he's uh, atoned for in in the heavenly sanctuary. He's going to put them on Satan. Satan is the final sin bearer in Seventh-day Adventism. Wow. No way. That's in Ellen White's book, The Great Controversy. Wow. Adventists know this. I mean, it's, it's, it, this isn't something that's obscure or hidden. The Great Controversy is a hugely popular book within Seventh-day Adventists. They all read it, and, as well as the one I just quoted from here, Patriarchs and Prophets. But Seventh-day, uh, the Great Controversy is even more well-known than the book I just quoted from. And it's in that book. Satan is the final sin bearer. Wow. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, <clears throat> so they also, Seventh-day Adventists, believe that Jesus in this um, judgment sanctuary position they portray him, and they do it in their literature. They have drawings. He's dressed as a Levitical priest. Well, I, I say to my Adventist friend, how can you dress Jesus Christ up as a Levitical priest? First of all, here's one thing. Um, Leviticus 4.26, Levitical priest, before they had to do sin offerings, they had an offer of sin for themselves, for their own sin. They were men. They were sinners. But yet you got Jesus dressed up as a Levitical priest. Is he a sinner? No, 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who is without sin. Leviticus 16.16, that's the Day of Atonement, right? We're kind of talking about this. Levitical priests did the same thing. They atoned for their own sins before they atoned for the sins of the nation of Israel with the two goats. I say, so when you dress Jesus up as a Levitical priest, you're dressing him up as a sinful man. I say, that's not right. Matter of fact, what does the Bible say? He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's not a priest after the order of Levi. And it's Hebrews 5, 6. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, not Levi, who's a sinful man. Melchizedek's not. Uh, so that's another point where their, their Jesus is different. He's going to place his sins upon Satan. He's, they dress him up as a sinful Levi priest. He does an atonement work without no blood being shed. Okay, so, <clears throat> Jim, you've really rocked their world because now you're explaining some things that they, that they can't live with. And so how right. do they take the next step to invite Jesus into their heart with you? I've only had very few online so far that, uh, that, are, that question the Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. And this is what happens. I, I mean, I've been doing this since 1993 with mm-hmm. a variety of groups. Um, I mean, I'll just use my uh, Jehovah Witness, one of my Jehovah Witness examples. I mean, when I first got a false prophecy in book form, I was elated. It's like, oh my gosh, look at this. The world's going to end in 1914. Here's a book printed in the 1880s. Look at this. this is unbelievable. Surely if I show this to a Jehovah Witness, they'll go, you're right. There are false prophets. And, I, and I've showed them to them many times and they look at it and they try to explain it away. They, they don't look at it and go... You're right. They're a false prophet. Let me go to church with you. I'll get baptized next week. It, I'm telling you, it just doesn't happen like that with people in these non-Christian groups. It takes them a long time to get out. They're in these groups for a number of reasons, relationships, etc. It's hard for them to leave. It's hard. You, you can think about it. Just think, I've been a Seventh-day Adventist for 30 years, and I'm reading this, and you go, I've been fooled for three decades. I feel like an idiot. And I've heard Seventh-day Adventists tell me that. So they don't leave easily. And, you know, the scripture that comes to mind for me is um, the Bible says it's his kindness that brings us to repentance. Mm -hmm. And so somewhere along the line, the Lord, after you've come in and maybe shine the light hard on what their beliefs are, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm and I'm I want to say I'm sure, but I'm not. We serve a very loving God. He's got to have someone else 
come behind you. Absolutely. And witness in, in to them after they're shattered. So, so let me say this too. When I'm dialoguing them on YouTube, I don't want to get caught up in using my fancy apologetical arguments. Because it's not my apologetical arguments that save a soul. No. Period. It's the word of God. Of course. So whenever I type back to Adventist and, and, and I'm in a conversation with them, I make sure every time I give them multiple passages from the word of God. That's just Good a habit you. of me to do. I got convicted of this a while ago because right. I got caught up in my fancy apologetical arguments. And I thought, no, it's not those. Yeah. It's, it's the, word, it's of the word of God. You got to give them the word of God. Okay, you can use your fancy apologetical argument, but you've got to give them the Word of God. And I do that each and every time I dialogue at Venice. If you would like to accept Jesus as your Savior right now, I'd like for you to follow me in this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me and shedding your blood that today I can have my sins, remission of sins. Father, I pray that you would bless those out there that are praying with me. Jesus, come into my heart right now and wash my heart as white as snow. Forgive me for the sins of the past, the present, and even things that I might do in the future. Help me to walk with you, Jesus. Help me to read your word every day and help me to find a place to worship you, be it online or a real church, Lord, a real church building. Surround me with people that know you and love you that can help mentor me in this new walk with you. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been one of these people that have just said that prayer, I pray that you would call us here at Hope Radio or go to our website, uh, my website, I'm sorry, On the Road with Jesus, and drop me a line, and I'll be happy to send you a Bible. Thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you, Jim, for joining us. Again, thanks for joining us. I love you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rhody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rhody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.